Please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this episode. Apple is getting a lot of buzz over its new gadgets and their sticker price. We'll look at whether its stock is a value for investors. Plus, the U.S. economy is adding jobs, and our chief U.S. economist weighs in on how the Fed might react as it tries to cool inflation. And market volatility might have you reconsidering your portfolio. Morningstar's Director of Personal Finance, Christine Benz, has some advice for you. This is Investing Insights. Welcome to the new Investing Insights. I'm your host, Ivana Hampton. We're bringing you a new format with a mix of market news, analyst insights, and personal finance tips. Let's get started with a look at your Morningstar headlines. The job market remains healthy despite all the chatter about economic pain and recession. However, is it too hot to bring inflation down to where the Federal Reserve wants it to be? A key takeaway in the August jobs report is a big jump in labor force participation. That's why unemployment rose to 3.7% from 3.5% in July. People are only counted as unemployed if they're actively looking for work. The job gain should slow down wage growth. However, It's unlikely to have a major impact on the Fed's plans to hike interest rates. And that's according to Preston Caldwell, who is the chief U.S. economist for Morningstar Research Services. He says job growth remains stronger than normal, and that's pointing to a need to continue cooling off the economy. Labor Department numbers show job gains came from professional and business services, health care, and retail last month. Caldwell says it's good news for the economy that labor force participation near pre-pandemic levels in August And you can read more about what he thinks. A link is in the show notes. Starbucks has named a new CEO. The company has chosen Reckitt Bankheiser Group CEO, Laxman Narasimhan, to take over for Howard Schultz. And for Morningstar, the move is a curious one. Schultz said his permanent successor would have domain expertise, sensitivity to Starbucks values and culture, and a commitment to leading for the long term. Nair Siemens served as Global Chief Commercial Officer at PepsiCo before leading Reckitt. It's a health, hygiene, and nutrition company. And while Reckitt maintains strong environmental, social, and governance principles and a recent turnaround under Nair Siemens' guidance, his experience doesn't cleanly check the domain experience box. The future Starbucks CEO will step down for Reckitt at the end of the month, and he will then undergo a crash course in Starbucks' brand, culture, and reinvention plan under Schultz and he will begin leading Starbucks in April 2023, and we're maintaining our $100 estimate of what we think Starbucks stock is worth. Broadcom reported strong fiscal third quarter results. Sales rose 25% year over year, thanks in part to healthy networking demand led by cloud and enterprise data center spending. The results were slightly ahead of Morningstar's expectations. Broadcom's networking, storage, and broadband business units have proven resilient despite slowing customer demand. Morningstar thinks Broadcom's wireless segment should also benefit from Apple's iPhone launch. We're maintaining our $624 estimate of what we think Broadcom stock is worth. It reflects a high probability that its VMware acquisition closes sometime next year. And should the deal close, our estimate for the combined entity would rise to $645 per share. Apple unveiled new and pricey gadgets at its highly anticipated launch event. The new iPhone 14 will go on sale during a time of high inflation and worries about a recession. Abhinav Davaluri is a sector strategist for Morningstar Research Services, and he covers Apple. 
All right, so let's jump right into the questions. What I think is noteworthy that came out of today's event was that Apple kept the prices of the base model and the higher end iPhone 14s as the same as last year. The base models will start at $799 and then the higher end will start at $999. What do you make of that and how is Apple faring in the current environment? Yeah, so based on a number of factors, including kind of some of the supply chain headwinds that Apple has been facing, inflationary pressures that are leading to higher costs for many of the parts that go into their devices, we'd expected Apple to actually raise the price for some of their models. And ultimately, they came back with the same exact price points for the base model, the Pro model, and the Pro Max relative to the iPhone 13. And uh, that was somewhat surprising. But then when we dug a little deeper, we found out that the iPhone 14 and the iPhone 14 Plus, just a slightly bigger version of that, actually has the same exact chip as the iPhone 13. So it looks like Apple, to kind of maintain the stable gross margin on on their iPhone models, um, they they kind of stuck with the older chip. And the only chip that was upgraded was the uh, iPhone 14 Pro. So that I think was it was a little bit unique. And and basically what that tells us is. Uh, maybe this upgrade cycle won't be as strong maybe as uh, some of the market participants have expected. And I think relative to the you know the current economic environment, I think Apple has been faring a little bit better than peers. And I think that's a function of their premium status in kind of the technology hardware space where many of their users, we think, haven't been as impacted by uh, some of the economic pressures that maybe other users have. We're hearing how Apple's doing. Well, how are is the competition doing in this environment? Yeah, so uh, many of the OEMs that they compete against, you know, Samsung, Huawei, uh, Oppo, Vivo, some of the other Chinese OEMs, they have struggled quite a bit, especially in China. China's been having uh, some lockdowns and, and also some economic weakness there. So that's really curbed uh, demand for smartphones. And then on the PC side of things, coming out of some really strong demand years uh, post kind of COVID and, and the work from home and learn from home trends, you know, we're starting to see PC sales slow down quite a bit as well. Despite all of those two factors, uh, Apple has kind of continued to grow its iPhone segment and its Mac segment more recently. So, uh, you know, I think that's a combination of their premium products on, on the Mac side. You know, they shifted from Intel chips to their own chips, and that's shown some really strong performance uh, improvements. And, and I think that's convinced more consumers to kind of upgrade or shift over Apple's MacBook. So uh, that's really helped them kind of outperform. But um, again, I think uh, in the coming quarters, I think this outperformance is going to be very difficult to kind of maintain. And when you say OEMs, you mean? Uh, Original equipment manufacturers. So yeah, companies that are selling the actual hardware. Uh, On the PC side, it's pretty easy. Uh, Adele, HP, Lenovo, things like that. All right. So Apple had his big day today. And people are thinking about buying the iPhone. But if you're an investor, you may be thinking about buying some stock. What do you think of Apple's stock value? Yeah, so our fair value estimate is $130 per share. Uh, That's a little bit below where the stock is currently trading at, kind of in the 150 to 155 range. Um, I think it was at least uh, even as high as 160 more recently. But uh, yeah, ultimately, I think we're just a little bit more conservative in our estimates, especially for fiscal 2023. You know, we think revenue is going to be more kind of muted in terms of growth, kind of low single digit range, especially for the iPhone. Um, we think the iPad and the Mac are likely to slow down as, uh, you know, some of the recent demand strengths uh, slows. And then even things like the services and wearables that have performed really well uh, in recent years, 
you know, we think Apple is not immune to uh, some of the broader macroeconomic weakness we expect. And um, ultimately, I think just some of our yeah, revenue assumptions are just a little bit uh, weaker than what is implied by, say, the current stock price. All right. What if you want to look for some opportunities, where should investors look right now in the tech industry? So beyond Apple, you know, I also focus on the semiconductor space and and there's quite a, an array of different players there that I think look attractive. But looking at maybe some of the key end markets, you know, I mentioned PCs and smartphones are likely to be weaker for the foreseeable future. But other areas like uh, cloud computing and, and data center strength, that remains pretty solid from a spending perspective. So companies that are more levered to those markets uh, and AMD and NVIDIA, um, you know, we think those names are actually trading at attractive discounts. Uh, both AMD and NVIDIA also have exposure to the PC and, and gaming side of things. So uh, a little bit of a mixed bag there. However, I think uh, they're definitely starting to look interesting for prospective investors. Um, the another part of the semiconductor market that we like is actually the equipment suppliers. Uh, they sell the tools to make the chips to companies like TSMC that makes all the chips for Apple, um, Intel, Samsung, et cetera. And uh, companies such as Applied Materials, Slam Research, ASML, uh, you know, they sell the the tools. They basically sell the arms uh, to these, um, you know, manufacturers that make chips. So if I'm an investor and I want to get exposure to some of the nascent trends like 5G or artificial intelligence, cloud computing, et cetera, um, you know, I think a, a convenient and effective way to to take advantage of those opportunities is by investing in the equipment suppliers. You know, I don't have to worry about who wins a new design in the next iPhone when basically, you know, these equipment suppliers are making every single chip. So um, among those names, ASML is our top pick. Um, we do think overall equipment spending might slow down in 2023, but we think the pockets that ASML plays in, particularly at the leading edge for customers like Apple and AMD and NVIDIA, you know, those types of spending will remain kind of resilient. And uh, I think ASML is kind of best positioned there. All right. Well, thank you, Amanah, for your insights and your time today. Thanks for having me. Your portfolio's balance is likely lower these days, and you might feel like you should do something. Well, check out this conversation between Morningstar's Director of Personal Finance, Christine Benz, and Morningstar's Director of Content, Susan Jabinski. They talk about the good reasons to overhaul a portfolio. Hi, I'm Susan Jabinski for Morningstar. Morningstar Director of Personal Finance and Retirement Planning, Christine Benz, has conducted dozens of portfolio makeovers during the past decade. Christine is here today to discuss three key reasons investors may want to make over their portfolios. Hi, Christine. Thank you for being here. Hi, Susan. Good to see you. So let's start out by talking a little bit about the market volatility that we've experienced this year. Is that reason enough to really say, yes, I need to do a portfolio overhaul as a result? Probably not. I think we're all feeling a little bit frustrated with our investments because we've seen our stocks go down, we've seen our bonds go down, but it's generally not a great idea to think about a major portfolio upheaval in the midst of the market volatility that we've had, the kind of market volatility. I think oftentimes your emotions get involved. I could see investors, especially at this stage, getting into an overly defensive crouch given their time horizons, given their risk capacity. So I really wouldn't recommend market action as a catalyst. I would try to stick to, you know, whatever plan you have and just do your annual check-in or your quarterly check-in or whatever you do. But I, I would not recommend making big portfolio changes in, in the midst of this kind of volatility simply because of that volatility. 
So having said that, you know, there are some reasons that you've talked about in the past that there might be times that you would want to make some big adjustments to your portfolio. One of those times is when you're closing in on retirement or facing some other large life change. So why might life changes be, might necessitate portfolio makeovers? Sure. And Susan, we've talked about this before, uh a huge segment of the portfolio makeover submissions that I receive come from people who are in exactly this life stage, usually in anywhere from age 60 to early 70s, where they're thinking about the viability of their portfolio and their plan. So the changes like retirement or whatever uh, big life change you have coming up can be a great catalyst to do a portfolio review. Retirement in particular, necessitates a look at whether you have enough <laughs> to sustain you over your time horizon. And then from there, you can look at the positioning of the portfolio. You know that I'm a big believer in that bucket slash time segmentation approach. Almost any pre-retiree or retiree who reaches out to me and I select them for a portfolio makeover ends up with some version of a bucketed <laughs> portfolio. I just think that that's such a helpful framework to use when crafting an in-retirement portfolio. You're using your time horizon to guide how you position your assets. Now, another catalyst for doing a portfolio overhaul is if you would receive some sort of windfall or a large infusion of cash into your portfolio. Um, what are the key steps to sort of take in that situation and things to be thinking about? Well, I think it starts with goals because uh, individuals' response to a windfall will vary and their planned use of those funds would vary significantly. So, you know, someone might say, well, I plan to buy a vacation home or whatever that might be. Well. In that case, you would need to have the money invested very, very conservatively to help meet that short-term purchase. Other people might say, well, I plan to add this to my retirement portfolio, and then you might invest it along the lines of however the retirement portfolio was invested. So it really starts with goals, which in turn gets to time horizon, which in turn, I think, informs the positioning of, of the portfolio. And another good reason, and, and something you've certainly seen over the past decade, is um, doing some sort of pro portfolio realignment if you find that, you know what, I've been a collector of investments, an investment collector, but I don't really have a blueprint for the, my portfolio. Um, so what do you mean by that? And you know, how do collectors, investment collectors even go about beginning to streamline those portfolios? Right. I will say that we have a lot of collectors yes. on Morningstar.com. <laughs> In fact, sometimes hear from readers who say there aren't enough slots for me to have my 500 <laughs> portfolio holdings here. Um, and so it's a common conundrum, and this is often an investment enthusiast problem. The person really is engaged in investments. There might be individual stocks, there might be ETFs or mutual funds, and they've created a plan, but they haven't necessarily had a blueprint for that plan. And I think that can be a phenomenal catalyst, realizing that you, you've been an investment collector, now it's time to get serious about my portfolio's asset allocation. And so I would 
start with, again, it gets back to goals and time horizon, your proximity to needing your money. And from there, I think you can take a hard look at the portfolio. And, and this is something I do when I go through this portfolio makeover process, where I do try to salvage good holdings where I find them. If I find good core equity or good bond holdings, I do try to hang on to them. But generally speaking, if I'm working on a portfolio makeover for someone who is an older adult moving into retirement, I try to streamline that portfolio quite a bit. I try to reduce the number of moving parts. So oftentimes I will cull most of the individual stock holdings in favor of mutual funds, which I think require less mm -hmm. oversight on an ongoing basis. Um, and then you may find that there are some holdings that just belong on the cutting room floor, either because they're not a fit with your plan or they're not best of breed and you haven't revisited uh, your ratings of your various holdings in a while. I do think that Morningstar tools, Morningstar research can be invaluable as you attempt to work on that winnowing process. That's certainly something that I use as I do these portfolio makeovers. I rely on our analyst team to help signal to me which of these holdings to hang on to and which we can throw overboard. So depending on the magnitude, uh, an investor might want to work with an advisor to sort of help figure out how to best approach a makeover. Um, where should they turn? Well, a starting point, I think, is to look look for someone who's a certified financial planner, so they have those CFP credentials. I like the idea of working with someone who is fee-only, meaning that commissions aren't in the mix in relation to any recommendations that they might make for you. And then also ask if they're a fiduciary. Are they legally required to put your interests ahead of their own? So tick those three boxes, I think, regardless of what business model you opt for. And then from there, I would say a key fork in the road and something to think about, and it's very individual specific, is whether you're looking for an ongoing engagement, an ongoing oversight, or you just kind of want that one time look and then you'll be good to go for at least a while. And so that will help you figure out if, if you want that ongoing oversight, then you're probably better work, better off working with someone who will charge you a percentage of your assets on an ongoing basis. And there are a lot of different variations under that umbrella. You could work with a robo-advisor, for example, where you're getting some aspect of digital advice as well as perhaps some human advice. Or you could work with a all-in human advisor, which will usually be a little more high touch, but also entail a little bit more in costs. If you want a one-time portfolio review, you can look for uh, an advisor or planner who works on an hourly basis. Some planners or advisors may be willing to talk to you about kind of a per-engagement uh, sort of uh, contract. So check around. I often recommend napfa.org, N-A-P-F-A.org, is a good resource for finding fiduciaries who are CFPs and then winnowing it down a little bit based on specialty, based on whatever fee model makes sense in your situation. Well, thanks again, Christine, for your time today. We always appreciate seeing you and talking with you. Always love seeing you, Susan. Thank you. I'm Susan Jabinski with Morningstar, and if you'd like Christine Benz to consider making over your portfolio, visit the link on the screen or in the description. Thank you. Thanks to Christine and Susan for the advice. Well, this is week two of the new format of Investing Insights. What are you thinking so far? Email us as podcast at Morningstar.com. Thanks to podcast producer Jake Bankerson, who puts this show together. And I'm thanking you for listening to Investing Insights. 
I'm Ivana Hampton, a senior multimedia editor at Morningstar. Take care. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of Morningstar Inc. and its affiliates. Morningstar and its affiliates are not affiliated with this guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. Morningstar does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered tax advice. Please consult a tax and or financial professional for advice specific to your individual circumstances. Morningstar Research Services LLC is a subsidiary of Morningstar Inc. and is registered with and governed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Morningstar Research Services shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision. 